chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Man, it's good to see everybody out tonight for our midweek Bible study. Pastor Carter's taking a little bit of vacation time. Everybody always says it's much needed. I don't really think it's needed. I work with him all the time. He really, he doesn't do that much. Uh, I'm just kidding. Miss Blaise, don't tell him I said that. Uh, Titus chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 13. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. says, looking for that blessed hope, And the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today, for your blessings and your goodness to us. Lord, we just ask you tonight to meet with us. To be with us in this Bible study, help it to be an encouraging time, an uplifting time, and a time where we can leave here tonight and be grateful that we were able to study your word for a few minutes tonight. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Um, We live in in such a world uh, of negativity. It's just inundated with negative things and negative thoughts and negative ideas. Look at the top 10 news stories from 2017. Top 10 news stories from 2017. Number one, the Trump election. Now, some people might find that negative. Some people might find that positive. So that one could go either way. But then you go on a bunch of really negative stuff. The tension in North Korea. For me, when a diabolical madman has access to nuclear weapons, that's pretty negative. So uh, (laughs) you're going down the harassment of women. Just so much stuff in the news lately about the inappropriate treatment of ladies, and that's obviously a very negative thing. Domestic terrorism with all of the things going on in, in, in schools and uh, the, the deal in Texas and Las Vegas and just, just tons of, obviously, very negative. International terrorism with the, uh, um, um, what is that? ISIS. ISIS. Thank you very much. ISIS and uh, uh, what's the other one? The uh, Man, I'm on top of my current events, aren't I? Let's move on. The, the opioid epidemic was the number six news story for 2017. This obviously is something that affects my ministry uh, a lot. The terrible thing about the opioid epidemic is, is the amount of people who are dying from, from this, this terrible addiction. Uh, number eight, or number seven, the hurricane season, ton, lots and lots of people lost their lives during a really, really bad hurricane season. Uh, number eight, not necessarily negative, but or not negative at all, kind of a cool thing. Uh, nine, the cultural wars, so much discussion in the news and in media about racial tension and racial problems. Uh, and then 10, the national anthem protest, which actually I guess could be uh, considered under number nine as well. But, but just a, a lot of negativity. There was an article in the New York Times. A lady wrote this article, uh, Alina Tungan. I don't know why that lady couldn't have had an easier name for me to pronounce if I'm going to have to try to refer to her article here. In this article, she interviewed an author and Stanford University professor, Clifford Noss, who made this statement. He said, some people do have a more positive outlook, but almost everyone remembers negative things more strongly and in more detail. He said there are are physiological as well as psychological reasons for this. The brain handles positive and negative information in different hemispheres. 
Negative emotions generally involve more thinking and more information is processed more thoroughly than positive ones. Also interviewed for this article was Dr. Roy Baumeister, professor of social psychology at at Florida State University, and he authored a a peer-reviewed journal article uh, titled, Bad is Stronger Than Good. Research over and over again shows this, what he says, research over and over again shows that this is a basic and wide-ranging principle of psychology. He said it's human nature, and there are even signs of it in animals. In this article, the professor notes that losing money, being abandoned by friends, and receiving criticism will have a greater impact on you than finding money, making friends, or receiving praise. In this study, he notes many good events can overcome the psychological effects of a bad one. He states the ratio is five good for every one bad. We're just negative people. And it's not so much that we're necessarily negative. It's that the negative things have so much more of an impact on us psychologically than the positive things. They stick with you longer. They have a more more impression upon your brain than what the positive things do. If we were to survey 100 uh, Boston Red Sox fans that were over the age of 50 years old, they would remember this picture. And they would remember the, the game when 1986 in the World Series against the New York Mets when, when Bill Buckner misses this ground ball, really simple ground ball, goes right between his legs. If he catches that ground ball, steps on first base, game's over, Red Sox win the World Series. He misses this. The Mets come back in that game and end up winning the World Series all because of this play right here. They would remember this more than they would remember this, according to this study. This, this picture here would be more in their memory than this picture. It's crazy, isn't it? Steve Spurrier, national champion coach, Heisman Trophy winner, he made this statement that he's more motivated by the agony of defeat than he is the thrill of victory. Because it's the losses that make more of an impression on us. We're more driven, we're more motivated by those bad things than we are the good. And negative things occur in our life make more of an impression than the positive. The only point I'm trying to make to this is, is we see and we are inundated with so much negativity. How many of you have a Facebook account tonight? That's just about everybody. So when you go on Facebook, it's, it's amazing how many negative things you see on there. Now there's some positive things on there. There's some recipes, and I wish I had a button I could push where I did not have to see any more recipes, all right? I don't plan on doing any cooking anytime soon. A lot of eating. You can keep sending those to my wife, but I'm not going to do any of the cooking. The, uh, you wouldn't really want me to do that. The, uh, there's a lady I'm thinking of specifically, and I'm getting somewhere with this. Just stay with me. We're just having fun right now. We're just talking. There's a lady I'm thinking of specifically who is a Facebook friend of mine, and she doesn't go to this church, or I wouldn't tell this story about her. Uh, but um, <laughs> she never fails to share the articles about uh, big drug bust roundups. Every time somebody gets arrested for a drug-related case, this lady always shares it. I think it was like three years ago she was in one of those roundups. 
And, and I really want to comment on that sometime and say, hey, weren't you in one of these just a few years ago? But people just, there's just something about it. They love negativity. They love gossip. They love sowing discord. They love to talk about negative things. And we give the ladies a bad rap on that. But let me tell you something. There is as much gossip that goes on in the barbershop as there is in the beauty shop. There's a bunch of bad talk. If you don't believe that, go to the Coleman County Coon Hunting Club on Tuesday night about 6 o'clock. And you can catch up on anything going on. I promise you. Negativity is just something that, that we deal with. Now, this verse, this text here that we read, uses a word that I want to define tonight if we can. The word exhort. It is to strongly encourage or to exhort someone to do something. To motivate. So what we want to talk about tonight, for just a few minutes, we want to look at some encouraging things to talk about. In that verse it said, these things speak and exhort. That word exhort is a positive word. It's a motivating word. It's an encouraging word. And really the whole point to this Bible study or this lesson tonight is that we have a lot of negativity, a lot of bad things that are just part of life that we just have to deal with. Listen, look to the person to your left. And then now look to the person to your right. They're probably going through some sort of difficulty tonight that you have no idea of. They're waiting on some bad news from a doctor. They're having problems with their children. They're having issues with some in-laws. That's me. I have a lot of issues with my mother-in-law. I'm just kidding. Uh, she'll probably watch this too, won't she? Don't tell her about this. Uh, everybody in here tonight is struggling with something. Some kind of heartbreak. There's some of you in here tonight that are going through uh, a bad, maybe you got a relationship that's dissolving. Maybe you have a parent that is sick and about to pass away. Everybody has something in their life that they're struggling with, some form of negativity. So what do we need to offset that? We need five good things to offset the one bad. And that's what the Bible talks about right here is exhorting or motivating about positive things. He gave us a list in this text right here and he said these things speak and exhort. And I just want to look at those three things. There's three things specifically in this passage that we want to look at and they're really simple. Uh, I, I made this outline. How many of you got tricked tonight? I did my very best to try to make this outline look like preachers. Did y'all think it was his? Did I get you? All right, good. No? I wasn't talking to y'all. Uh, you got to admit, the top line looks just like him, doesn't it? Um, some, um, we're in John. Well, I wasn't going to try to take his spot in that because I didn't, I didn't feel like I could do that justice. So I, I picked a different topic. Three very simple things. If you didn't get an outline, it's no big deal. You can write this down on the back of a gum wrapper, and then you can throw that away just as easy. How many of you struggle with the obligatory amount of time you're supposed to keep one of these outlines? Are we supposed to file them and keep them forever? Are we supposed to put them in a notebook? I really, Travis, I don't know what to do. And I get under pressure about it, you know? Do I keep this? Is somebody going to ask me for this later? And if I don't have it, I'm going to miss out on some kind of bonus? I, I don't know. You struggle with that. Okay, very good. I'm not the only one. So three really quick, easy things. 
that we want to look at tonight. Encouraging things. I'm glad you're laughing because that's what we want to do tonight. We want to be encouraged. We want to be happy. We want to look at some things that we can be encouraged about tonight and leave here. Some of you have to go pick your kids up when we get done. You need to be encouraged. <laughs> the first thing are some things in the future. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Such a great verse, such a great passage. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. If you're there, say amen. All right, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And when we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Some things in the future. A, the first thing about some things in the future would be the rapture. The rapture is when Christians or the church leave the earth and meet the Lord in the air and ascend on to heaven. And what a wonderful day this is going to be. I, I got to tell you, I really do not see how that a person who doesn't have this knowledge, who doesn't have this comfort, how they could possibly get through the loss of a loved one. I remember on June, in, in mid-June, I stood right here in front of this platform as my dad laid in a casket. And the very last time I looked at his, his shell before they closed the casket on him, I said, I'll see you, Dad. Now, do I miss him? Sure I miss him. I still reach for my cell phone on a, on a regular basis to call my dad, and I remember but you know what? I can be encouraged tonight. I can find exhortation in the fact that I will see my dad again. Just as sure as I'm standing here, I know that I'll see my dad someday because of this hope that we have, this blessed hope of a Savior that will return and rapture us out of this mess that we find ourselves in this evening. Now, here's a lot of other great things about that. You know what? If you have, guess what? Premier Bank will have to worry about my mortgage their self when the rapture occurs because I won't care anymore. It'll be on them. So whatever bill you have that's eating your lunch tonight, if the rapture occurs, you won't have to worry about that anymore. So you have some things that you can look forward to, that you can be excited about. Hey, if, if you're struggling through a difficult situation with a family member, maybe a spouse, or things are just not going well. And you know what? When you're raptured out of this, all of that will be fixed. You're struggling tonight with maybe some type of disability, some type of physical ailment, or some kind of disease or sickness. You know what? Well, we're raptured out of this. We'll receive a glorified body, and those things we'll no longer have to worry about. Man, what a great day that'll be. When you find yourself discouraged tonight, when you find yourself struggling, be exhorted in the fact that we have something to look forward to in the future. It said, looking for that blessed hope. That word looking, I looked it up and it means something conjugated. It's a future present tense dangling participle verb. I don't know exactly what it is. It just means the future. So we got some future things that we can look forward to. And one of those is the rapture where we leave here 
Now, there's some things in the Bible that if you haven't really studied a whole lot, it might get a little bit confusing. So I want to try to clear a little bit of that up tonight if I can. A is the rapture. But in Revelation 19, if you got your Bible, you want to turn over there, they're going to put the scriptures on the screen here. I think they may even be in your notes. Revelation 19 verse 11 says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he hath judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with vestures dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon the white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule with them a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepresses of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vestures and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now there's two accounts here. There's two things that occur in the future that are really exciting. First thing is the rapture. That's when Jesus comes in the clouds and we that are alive and remain will be caught up in the air with him and those that are dead in Christ shall rise first and we'll meet Jesus in the clouds and he'll take us on to heaven. Now, for a seven-year period, we'll be in heaven at what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. We as the church, the New Testament church, is known as the bride of Christ. And that marriage supper of the Lamb is a celebration. And basically, for seven years after the... um, Judgment seat of Christ where Christians will be judged based upon the motive of their works. We'll never be judged upon our sins because our sins were judged on Calvary. But we'll be judged for the motives of our works. And after that's all over with, we'll do nothing for the rest of the time. I don't know any other way to say it, but party. (laughs) We'll just have a big time. It'll be a great big wedding reception and we'll have a hoot. And that's what will be going on while on earth... The people who did not get raptured out will be suffering through the tribulation. Terrible time on earth where the earth is being judged. It's basically being cleansed of wickedness and sinfulness. And and God is preparing this earth to set up his new kingdom. But at the end of that seven years, there'll be a remainder of people left here on earth. And the description that we just read there in Revelation 19 B, under some things in the future, is the return in victory. When Christ returns in victory over the evils of the world and Satan, and we get to tag along. Here's what happens in the earlier part of Revelation 19. It gives a description of what the bride in Christ wears, those white robes. And he'll be on that lead white horse. Man, I read something that was really great. And I can't do the story justice and use all the fancy historical terms. But as a Roman leader would ride back into Rome victorious in a battle, he always rode on, guess what? A white horse. And you see, way back when Jesus rode into Jerusalem facing the death of the cross, you remember what he rode? He rode on a little donkey. Such a humble entrance. He's not coming back this time humbly. He's not riding the donkey. 
He's riding a white horse in victory, and he will wrong all of the rods. Wait a minute, I said that wrong. He will right all of the wrongs. Everything that went wrong, every evil dictator, every person that has been, he will judge those things. And here's what's great about it. We don't have to do any fighting. We just got to ride along behind him. Matter of fact, he doesn't have to do any fighting. If you'll notice what the verse says there, his mouth is the sword. He just speaks this judgment into existence. And everybody that has ever done anything and been in any situation that's left here on earth that was wrong and sinful and wicked, they are dealt with. And we just get to tag along. So when you start to think about the big picture, And how great things in the future are. And what we truly have to look forward to. The rapture. The return and victory with Christ. Is the fact that your ex-wife is not very understanding of you really that big a deal? I know it can be annoying. I I know ex-husbands can be a a real pain. I get that. I assume they can. Uh, I was going to get a divorce a couple of times, but I just really couldn't afford it. So I hung in there. I'm glad I did now. Seriously. I mean it, Stacey. 27 years, I'm real happy where I'm at. But I get it. I mean, in 27 years, I've had marital problems. I've done some ducking and swinging. A lot of ducking, no swinging. Uh, I get all that stuff. I understand it. But when you start to put those things into perspective, When you start to look at our struggles, and we all have them, we have bills, we have house payments and car payments and utility bills and, you know, my favorite kind of bill, and I praise the Lord, right this second, I really don't have any like this, but I can remember times in my life where I had like a $3,000 credit card bill and I couldn't go, I couldn't go put my hands on one thing that represented that $3,000, maybe a set of jumper cables or something, a $3,000 set of jumper cables. Okay? That's all I could show for. But I'm paying. A couple of you are laughing because you get what I'm saying. You know what? That's annoying. And it's frustrating. And you get mad at yourself for making foolish decisions and doing silly things. And you get down and discouraged and such a neck. But you know what? When you look at the big picture of it, and you look at the fact that I'm going to be raptured out of this, I get to leave here. I don't have to fool with this anymore. That's coming. There's something that's really great about knowing the ending, you know? I almost like to watch movies that I've already seen before, especially if it's some kind of thriller because I can watch it and I don't have to get my nerves tore up. I know what happens, you know? That's where we're at right now. No matter how bad it gets, no matter how difficult the situation is, no matter what you face in life, we know how it ends. All you have to do is read the last chapter. We win. Isn't that great? Isn't that exciting tonight? So if you want to be encouraged, if you want to be exhorted tonight, if you want to be motivated tonight about a negative situation that you may find yourself in, just tell yourself, we win. That's what I told myself during the entire Alabama-Georgia National Championship game. Right? I can say that. There can't be that many Georgia fans in here. A couple. Miss Tammy's not even here, so I don't have to worry about her. We win. So be encouraged tonight. But not only are there some things from the future for us to be encouraged about, but the verse says, who gave himself 
for us. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. It's in your notes. You can turn in your Bible there. It says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. You know what the second thing that we have to be thankful about tonight are some things from the past. Now, I'm excited about some things in the future that are going to occur, that are going to happen, but, you know, sometimes it's hard for me to wrap my mind around that because it's future. But things that have already happened in the past, well, I know it's happened. There are historical accounts of it. There's writing. You know, it's written in the... I know exactly how that all went down and what took place and why it happened. And, man, it's such a great thing, giving thanks unto the Father, who had delivered us from the power of darkness and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So how did that take place? How were we able? What put us in a situation that we needed to be translated from darkness to light? Well, mankind, if you look at this picture, found himself in a situation where he is separated from a holy God, and the thing that separated him was sin. When Adam sinned, that sin was passed upon all men for that all have sinned, Romans 5.12 tells us. You, you, now listen really careful to this. You are not a sinner because you sin. Do you understand that? You sin because you're a sinner. Now let me explain the diff- what I mean by that. Uh, my oldest daughter, Ashley is expecting my first grandchild. And is ex- I'm so excited about that. I- I'm not sure that I've ever... It's like every great Christmas I ever had and anticipated all wrapped up into one waiting for this baby to get here. And my grandbaby's going to be better than yours, Miss Belisa. I-, I-, I hate to break that. <laughs> she has got the cutest little grandson I think I've ever seen. I look forward to him. I- I've kid Dustin about in my office. I'm going to get one of those portable... Uh, uh, play pens, and um, that's just where she's going to go. I mean, I don't, I'm not worried about the, the preschool. That's, she's going to stay in my office with me. Why would I put her in the preschool? I'm right here. But Dustin doesn't go along with that. Uh, but you know what? When that little baby is born, as soon as she arrives, and they cut that umbilical cord, and she's never done a thing yet, you know what she is? She's a sinner. Because we are sinners. It's in our nature. And the Bible says in Isaiah that our sin hath create, has separated us from our God. You see, here we are. God desires to have a relationship with us, with mankind. And that big sin is separating us from God. The only way that we could have a relationship with God was for that sin to be dealt with. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For he hath made him to be sin for us. Everybody say that together with me. For us. Who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So see, here's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. This is what took place. 
He bridged that gap. He paid that sin debt. He atoned for those sins and His blood washed us white as snow. And not only did we receive the forgiveness of sin, but His righteousness was imputed to us so that when God looks at us, not only does He see the absence of sin, but He sees the presence of righteousness. All of those are things that we can be encouraged about that took place in the past. Listen, when I think about the forgiveness that's been afforded to me, I'm encouraged about the fact that God sees me as as righteous. And here's the great thing about it. It's not predicated upon anything that I did or I'd be in big trouble. It's based upon what Jesus did when He died on the cross and paid our sin debt for us. See, in Romans chapter 5, verse, or Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. There's a price tag that's assigned to our sin. And it's death and hell and separation from God if, if we pay that price ourselves. But in Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth. That word commendeth means to put on display or to prove. But God commendeth His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. There's a little chorus that goes, He owed a debt. He paid a debt He did not owe. And I owed a debt I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sins away. You see, I could have nev- the only way I could have paid that debt, it would have taken me an eternity and I would have never paid it off. And it would have been in separation in hell from, from God. But because of, of John 3.16, for God so loved the world. That word so is such an important word in that verse. Words are important. They mean something. That word so means to such a degree. He sent His only Son to die and take my place. You've probably heard the story about the guy, and it's a preacher's story and an illustration, but it makes such a good illustration, and I think people try to tell it as the truth, but I don't believe it. But I'm going to tell the story just to illustrate the point. The guy was, a guy ran a, a, a drawbridge for a train. Took his little boy to work one day, and his little boy is playing, and he tells me, he says, son, now you stay away from the Geary house down there because it's really dangerous. By the time he knew a train was scheduled to be coming through, he's getting ready to hit the switch and lower the drawbridge down so the train could pass over the ravine. And he looks down, and his little boy's down in that gear house, and he's hung up in one of the, one of the gears. If he flips the switch, it's very simple. He's going to sacrifice his son for the people on the train. If he doesn't flip the switch, the train's going to go off into the ravine, and everybody on the train dies. Well, as the story goes, he flips the switch and his little boy is sacrificed. And as he stands there weeping and crying, watching the train go by, the people have no idea what he's done. They're unconcerned. They're on the sleeping car sleeping. They're on the the lounge car drinking. They're in the nightclub car partying. They're living their lives oblivious to what this man has sacrificed for them. Well, we're not oblivious to it. 
If you're here on a Wednesday night at Temple Baptist Church, you know full well what Jesus has done for you. This is not the crowd that makes a contribution. This is the crowd that's committed. You're here for Wednesday night Bible study. And each and every one of you know full well what he's done for you. So when you find yourself in a discouraging situation, if you have a friend or a loved one that's going through a difficult time, the thing for you to do is not throw gas on their fire. It's not to pile on. It's not to join in with them. It's not to tell them some new discouraging piece of information. The thing for you to do is somehow turn the conversation, encourage them about Jesus died and paid our sin debt for us. I know things are bad, but you know what? The one good thing we have going for us is that our sins have been paid for. We're on our way to heaven simply because God loved us so much that he sacrificed his only son to take our place on Calvary. What a wonderful thing. If you can't be encouraged and motivated by that tonight, if that doesn't exhort you to make it another day, well... I'm not sure what to tell you. Maybe the next thing will. As this passage goes on, we see, he says, and purifying to himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. And I'll be honest with you, this one I may find the most encouragement from. Number three, and this is some things in the present that we can be encouraged about. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6 says, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know what? A, underneath number three, the first thing is we are a work in progress. It says, and purify unto himself a peculiar people. That word purify is an ongoing word. It is a, a present tense action verb that means it is continuously going. When I mess up, And it's not okay. I don't make provision for failure. I don't even like to make the statements, well, we're all sinners. I don't like to ever make it okay to fail. But when I do, I'm encouraged by the fact that I'm a work in progress. God is not finished with me. I'm not done yet. It's a process. And see, so many people want to make this salvation thing too difficult. They want to make, uh, if you don't quit everything you've ever done and turn your back on every sin that you've ever committed, and if there is not, listen, the reality of it is sanctification comes subsequent to salvation. It comes afterwards. The only thing I can do when I get saved is I can come to Jesus sick and broken and and hurting and destroyed and allow Him to put those pieces back together. Then after that, through the help of the Holy Spirit, I moved along a path of sanctification. And that is a process. Romans 8.28 says all things work together. This doesn't happen overnight. You can't snap your fingers. It is a, a thing that must happen Over time, children are not grown overnight. In Hebrews chapter 5, it gives the example of babies and children. uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 talks about children desiring the sincere milk of the word. Babies drink milk. Toddlers eat baby food. Adolescents begin to eat table food sitting at the table. They begin to eat mashed potatoes and a little bit of gravy and maybe some chopped up. Meat. 
But it's a process. It's a maturity thing that moves. You don't bring a kid home from the hospital, give them a bottle for a few days, and then start feeding them steak. That's not how it works. And sometimes we find ourselves discouraged because we're not where we think we should be or we're not where we want to be spiritually, but you have to encourage yourself with the fact that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it into the day of Jesus Christ. This is an ongoing process. So when you do fail, when you do make a mistake, when you do have a slip up in your life, I'm not saying it's okay. I'm not trying to make provision for failure. I'm just trying to encourage you tonight to tell you to get up and dust off and keep moving forward because you're a work in progress. Don't quit. Don't give up. Keep moving. Keep going. Keep going in the direction that God has you go. I cannot tell you how many dots. I finished several three-week dots in two hours and 45 minutes. I went to the doctor today. I don't know if you can tell I'm limping. I'm trying to do well, fake it. I got a knee that's really bothering me. And I told the doctor today, I don't think it's anything that 60 pounds wouldn't fix. <laughs> I said, He said, well, that sounds good, but... You know, maybe we need to see if there's something wrong with your knee. I'm sure 60 pounds would probably help it, but that's easier said than done. Now, if all of the times I've started a diet, if I'd have just stuck it out and got tough for six months, I'd be there, right? But how many of you have ever gone on a diet, knew where there was something stashed in the kitchen? Now, I know where the stuff is stashed at my house. It's usually in the nightstand on my wife's side of the bed. She thinks I don't know that, but I'm well aware that she keeps some chocolate hid over there all the time. I try not to get enough of it where she notices any of it's gone, but I have been known to get into that when things were really bad. Plus, I live about three minutes from a convenience store or Walmart. Uh, if it gets real bad, I know where the, where the Millennium Crunch aisle is at Walmart. I'll just go there and buy some. And I have messed up a bunch of dots two or three days in. And what I should have done is just said, okay, I had a bad meal. I messed up. I'm going to get back on this diet. I'm going to get up and exercise in the morning, eat right, and get back on it. I'll, I'll be okay. And if I would do that, I think a lot of the reason I'm 60 pounds overweight is all these cameras on me. I've already used that joke, but I really believe that's true. Camera adds 10 pounds. There's three cameras on me. That's at least 30 right there. Our Christian walk is real similar to that. I use that as an illustration because a lot of times, and honestly, I, I don't think it's anybody in here right now because like I said earlier, it's Wednesday night and you're sitting here. You're plugged in. You're listening. You're engaged. You're taking notes. I mean, you're all in. Things are going well for you right now, but what about when you make a mistake? What do you do? Well, you got to understand, first off, you're not going to lose your salvation. That's not going to happen because your salvation is not based upon what you did. It's based upon what he did. And keeping it is not based upon you maintaining some set of rules or keeping some set of ordinances so that you can... What does happen, though, is when a person sins, they lose fellowship with the Lord. Their communication and their, 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 their relationship with the Lord is damaged by that sin. So what do we do? 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us.
from all unrighteousness. So it's very simple. When you sin, when you mess up, you get up, you dust yourself off, you ask forgiveness, you restore that fellowship with God, and you remember that you're a work in progress. Now, here's the other exciting part about being a work in progress is B to this, because we're a work in progress, it's not just random work. The work in progress is this. We have a job or a purpose. God has something for us that He wants us to do. He has an intended plan for our lives. The easiest, simplest explanation for that is Romans 8, 29, where it says He has predestinated, He has predestined us, He preordained, He had a plan for us even before we were born. I don't believe for one second that God dictates that a certain group of people are going to go to hell and a certain group of people are going to go to heaven. I don't believe that. But He does have foreknowledge. He knows who will exercise their free will to accept Him and who will reject Him. And those that accept Him, He has a predetermined plan for their life. And guess what? It's the same for every one of us. It says there in verse 29 of Romans chapter 8 that we be in the image of His Son. God has a job for you. He has a purpose for you. He wants you to be like Jesus. I don't know how to make it any simpler than that. I don't know how to encourage you to not to go forward any more than that. You are a work in progress, and God has a purpose for you, and that's for you to be like Jesus. He wants something out of your life. He wants to do something with you. Each and every person in here, you may be a plumber, but God has a job for you besides plumbing. You may be an electrician, but that's just your earthly job. God has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you besides fixing electricity. God has a plan for you besides being a salesman or a mechanic or whatever your occupation is here tonight. He has a job for you. Your purpose is to be like Jesus. That's what your purpose is. But you got a job. That purpose is for a reason. What did Jesus do when he was here? Before we do that, let's watch this little video right here. So God spoke to Jeremiah one day and he said, go down to the potter's house and I'm going to talk to you there. So Jeremiah said, so I went down to the potter's house and behold, he brought a work on the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the potter's hands. You know, sometimes that's how our lives feel. Something comes along in life and just totally messes up our life. I love the story of the potter and the clay because he didn't stop there. Jeremiah was watching the potter, so he made it again. I seemed good to the potter to make it. And then God began to speak to Jeremiah, and he said, Cannot I do this with you? For as clay is in the potter's hands, so are you in my hands, O house of Israel. God was speaking to an entire nation at that time, because they had wandered away and turned to idols, and their world was falling apart. Yet God was saying to them, If you just turn over yourself to me, I can remake you again, just like the potter. 
he was saying that to a whole nation. How much more could he say that to us as individuals? So let me ask you, could this clay ever fix itself? So why is it that we think that we can fix ourselves? Or that we have to fix ourselves or make things right before we come back to God? When in reality, we never really can fix ourselves, not really. And all God wants us to do is just turn the mess over to Him. And just turn it over to Him and so that He can put things back together. Because see, He's the potter. He's really good at that. Now that term, life being a mess, is relative. I'm going to promise you something tonight without going into any great detail. Those of you that know me personally, I've seen some messes. Some of you have messes to be laid on your electric bill. And that's a mess for you. Messes are relative, you know. But there's some of you tonight that are genuinely hurting. You've got some struggles in your life that you're trying to bear, some burdens that you're trying to, to get through. And there's some messes in your life, some mess-ups, some problems, some issues. And just like that lady in that little video right there, was able to take that piece of clay and take the messed up part off and reform it and reshape it and fix it. That's exactly what God can do with your life. He can reshape that thing. He can reform that thing. But here's the thing about that vessel and the vessel that you are and the vessel that I am is that God reshapes it with a purpose. He is still working on you. He still has a plan for you. He has something for you, but it is with a specific purpose purpose when she got done with that that was going to be some kind of bowl now you can make whatever kind of bowl you want to my favorite kind of bowl is an ice cream bowl <laughs> I think that's a fantastic piece of pottery myself a bowl that you can eat ice cream out of and you see that ice cream bowl has a purpose it has a specific plan something that you use it for God's got a plan for you and I promise you tonight it is not to show up here Either at the nine, most of you guys are nine o'clock people, I can just tell by looking at you. The nine o'clock service or the 11 o'clock service. To come back on Wednesday night because that's what you do. You're a good person. He's got more for you than that. He's got more he wants to do with your life. And one of the main things is he wants you to communicate your faith and talk about to other people what he has done for you. And that's what exhortation is all about. That's what these things that we speak about, that it says there in that verse, if we go all the way back to the very beginning in verse 15, Titus chapter 2, verse 15, it says, these things speak and exhort. What God wants you to do is He wants your purpose, your mission in life is to speak these things. These things that we have a Savior who's coming back someday. I love that term, the vicarious return of Christ. That means he's coming back in victory. And there's no chance he loses. All right? We already know how it's going to end. I'm excited about it. I'm grateful. I'm moved. I don't even know the right word to use that is adequate to be motivated and exhorted and encouraged tonight about what Jesus did for me on Calvary. About how he did something for me I could never have done for myself the mercy and the grace that He's shown me in my life. What an exciting thing that is. And I'm excited tonight that He has a purpose for me. First off, I'm excited that He's not done with me. Because if He was, whew, I'm excited that I'm a work in progress. 
I'm motivated tonight. I'm, I'm encouraged tonight about the fact that he has entrusted me with a very important job, and that is to speak on these things, to tell people about what Jesus has done for me on Calvary and the fact that he's coming back someday and continue to allow him to work in my life. Now, teaching is when you convey information. And I'm really not sure what Wednesday night Bible study is. Uh, if you come pretty often, then you know that what he does on Wednesday night is not necessary. I wouldn't classify it as, as teaching. It's definitely preaching. The difference between preaching and teaching is this. Preaching is when I communicate some information to you and I, I invoke you to make a decision about it. Now, we're not going to have an invitation. I'm not going to ask anybody to come forward because you're all mature Christians. I'm just going to ask you that wherever you're sitting tonight, sitting in the balcony, sitting in your seat, I just want you to take inventory of yourself. And I want you to ask yourself, am I exhorted? Am I encouraged? Do I really appreciate and look at and take inventory of and really think about the wonderful things that God did for me and is going to do in the future and the fantastic things he's done for me in the past? And most of all, am I fulfilling his purpose in my life and sharing that with other people? Have I told somebody what he's going to do for me and what he's already done for me? Have I done that? That's what I want you to do tonight before you leave. Now, we're going to get out early, so you won't mind seeing me come back, hopefully. But before you leave tonight, while we pray, I want you to inventory yourselves and think about and make a decision about I'm going to do some things different. I'm going to begin to communicate these things. I'm going to begin to speak on these things to exhort. Hey, when your spouse is having a bad day, remind them, hey, man, Jesus is coming back. We're going to get out of all this mess. We're going to see some victory in this. When you hear a friend or a loved one that's having a bad day, remind them, hey, man, Jesus died for us. He paid our sin debt. we got something to be excited about. Speak on these things. Heavenly Father, thank you for today.